Lord, we thank you for this wonderful time of worship, and we ask that you send your Spirit upon us now. Fill us with your grace and mercy. Allow our hearts to be open, our minds to be clear. Allow us to focus on your Word. Allow us to uh, deal with the subject at hand with uh, ease and gentleness, and, and allow us to uh, be able to weather it even if we've lived through some of these experiences. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, we have spent the last three weeks on the topic of marriage and relationship. We looked at the mission and vision of marriage to be a partnership of mutual help and agape or sacrificial love. We've learned about what our partner needs and desires and what we need and desire. And last week we discussed the significance of sexual intimacy. This week, our topic gets a little more serious. The last few weeks we've been able to uh, have a little fun with our topics and, and make some jokes, uh, but this really isn't a light or fun topic. In fact, some of the topics we're going to discuss tonight will have affected individuals here in a very real and very possibly painful way, and it's not my intent to bring uh, forth any uh, painful memories or realities, but the reality is we want to make sure to prevent these things from happening. We want to make sure to um, say what God has to say about them and say what we as Christians need to say about them. And so we do need to address some of these hard topics from time to time. So what we're going to look at is habits that hurt and habits that heal. We're going to look uh, intimately tonight at abuse, addiction, and adultery and see how those habits often derail marriage or any relationship. So before we begin and before we get into kind of the meat of the subject, I want to assure you of at least some good news. Through Christ, I believe we can overcome any hurt and we can overcome any pain. Through Christ, I believe there is healing, there is restoration, and there is renewal. And I believe that with the support of a community of faith, which we call the church, we can encourage each other and surround and support one another in love. So that's the good news before we start digging into the reality of our world. Now, the survey we've been using from the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection, or CORE, which is compiled in the book Love to Stay, which I do not have up here with me, uh, included over 1,300 divorced individuals. They were asked to list the major reasons and conflicts that led to their separation or divorce. These uh, reasons, as you could expect, included poor communication, financial problems, marrying too young, growing apart from each other, lack of intimacy, and, and a couple other reasons. But we're going to look at the top three reasons from this survey in great detail. And they are abuse, addiction, and adultery. These three threats and many, uh, these three threats, excuse me, end many marriages and relationships and unfortunately cause a lot of hurt and pain, not just to our spouse, but to family members, to friends, to um, Certainly, in my experience, entire congregations and entire networks of people. So my hope is by naming them, by talking about them, we can truly uh, begin to learn how to prevent them. Now, the first threat is abuse. And this is a very serious uh, and painful problem. Uh, this is not the leading, court, uh, the leading cause of divorce in the survey. And I think that can be attributed to the fact that many people choose to stay or feel trapped in abusive relationships. We know, in fact, that every 15 seconds in the United States, a woman is abused by her partner. 
The statistics say every day four of those women who are abused are killed or murdered due to that abuse. So this is a serious problem. But we know abuse... It is not. It is not. It is the majority of the the physical abuses from men. But, as I was going on to say, Todd, thank you, abuse is not just physical. Men and women abuse each other emotionally with words and actions every single day. Much of this abuse happens actually within the confines of marriage and our relationships. The sad truth about it is the times that we seem to be able to be the worst to someone is to the person we're supposed to love the most. Much of this abuse comes from the things we say. We, we truly hurt each other with our words. And in fact, I believe many spouses seem to make it their daily goal to hurt the person that they love, the person they're married to, to demean and to belittle them. This was not God's intention for marriage or any of our relationships. I want to look at Ephesians, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, if you have your Bibles with you. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community, so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness losing your temper, anger, shouting, slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to one another in the name and in the same way God forgave you in Christ. In Greek, because I knew Jared was going to be here, the... Uh, phrase that the common English translates as foul words actually means to putrefy. And if you're familiar with the term putrefy, when something's putrefied, it's rotting, rotting or rotted to such a degree that it is no longer good. When food becomes putrid, you can no longer eat it. If you eat it, you will get sick. We believe that words can actually do that. They can actually tear us apart and make us feel worthless, make us feel putrid. This is especially the case for hurtful words and statements made by the people we love the most. The people who are not supposed to hurt us at all. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 18 that when we use words that hurt others, it is actually a sign of evil in our own hearts. That what we say reflects who we are. Now the church has not always responded well to the issue of abuse, Often it's been the case where clergy and other church leaders have put the ideal of God hates divorce over personal safety and well-being. Now, God does hate divorce. Marriage is, is sacred, it's, it's wonderful, and it is sad when it ends. But God also hates when His children are abused and beaten and hurting and suffering. Marriage is not supposed to be a prison sentence. It's not supposed to feel like you're trapped and you can't get out. We were meant to encourage each other. We were meant to partner with each other, to build each other up, to love each other each and every day. Now, I just want to make sure that I make it clear because I would never, ever say 
that if you are being abused by your spouse to stay in your relationship because God hates divorce. That is not, I, I hope you understand something that would come out of my mouth. Unfortunately, it has come out of church leaders' mouths in the past. If you are facing abuse in your marriage, you need to seek safety. There are places set up to find safety. There are homes of people in this room to find safety. If you're listening online, hopefully there are places in your community where you can find safety. We hope that the abuser, or abusers in many cases, can change, but until that happens, everyone deserves to be safe and supported. And I believe this is especially true if there are children in the relationship. Now, if you find yourself entering an abusive mindset, I encourage you to seek counseling and help and support because that kind of mindset can lead to not just words, but lead to physical and eventually life-ending threats. Now, the second threat to marriage and in relationships, and in truth, every one of us here, is addiction. Addiction contains both physical and psychological pieces, and they often kind of enforce each other. In truth, anything that consumes you, your time, your money, and your life, and it becomes so hard to break away from, that it affects the people in your life, your work, your family, that is an addiction. Now, addiction begins with the promise of something, usually pleasure, but as we develop a tolerance to our chosen vice, we begin to experience that same amount, of, or we experience less of that pleasure. Thus, the downward spiral begins. In fact, some drugs, as I did a lot of study of this in undergrad, some drugs like nicotine and caffeine begin as stimulants. They give you energy when you start to use them. But as time goes by, caffeine and nicotine become depressants. So you need to take more and more just to feel regular. You're no longer getting energy from them. You're just maintaining kind of your average level. The truth is that almost every one of our addictions is the same. What they promise is not what they deliver. Now, traditionally, alcohol addiction was the primary addiction that led to an end of a relationship. Because alcohol impairs our judgment, it has often led to abuse and adultery, the other two threats of marriage. Now, is alcohol evil? No, but it's not good either. That's why the United Methodist Church for many years has taken the stance of tolerance that its members should discourage or be discouraged from drinking or stay away from uh, alcohol uh, in general. That's why we use grape juice, which is not over there, I realize now. Um, that's why we use grape juice instead of wine for communion. Now, drinking does not make you uh, an alcoholic, certainly, but I encourage anyone who... Uh, has a drinking problem or thinks they have a drinking problem to seek help. There are actually people in our congregation who have, and you've heard testimony from some of them, who have uh, dealt with this and who are experts in recovery and have dealt with recovery and are in recovery, and they're excellent resources people for, for you. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I wonder if I have an alcohol problem or if I'm an alcoholic, here's a good test for you. If someone has ever said to you, I think you have a drinking problem, you are probably an alcoholic, or at least have some kind of drinking problem. I would say if you're over 25 and you drink to excess where you don't remember what you did the night before, you might have a drinking problem. 
Of course, other drugs and addictions like gambling have ended a number of marriages, and there's hope for all of those as well, but I'd want to dig a little deeper into one more prevalent and one more upcoming addiction that is uh, facing uh, the end of many marriages these days. Addiction is anything that interferes with your life um, and that hurts the people around you. So, I mean, you can, be, you can do things compulsively. That doesn't mean it's the same thing as an addiction. A, co- compul- a compulsion is just doing something over and over again, and we can be compulsively kind or anything else. But addiction is damaging. It damages you and damages people around you. So unfortunately, the psychological community has not come together and said there is such a thing as sex addiction, but too many of us have seen the end to relationships and the end to marriages and marriages torn apart by addiction to pornography and other sexual outlets. In some extreme cases, what begins as the viewing of internet pornography has led to consistent use of prostitutes, stalking, voyeurism, and in its most extreme, rape and even murder. Now, I don't mean to sound exceptionally alarmist, as those are extreme cases, but I do believe that this is a problem we have to talk about, and this reality is something we can't be blind to, especially as the church. Now, the survey that CORE did found that 8% of women, these are um, the surveys conducted from generally members of the Church of Resurrection, so these are, um, in, in this, what I'm saying, married couples and, and couples who consider themselves Christian. So 8% of those couples who were church-going married folks, uh, 8% of the women viewed pornography occasionally, and nearly two-thirds of the men in their 20s to 40s, that age bracket, viewed pornography sometimes or frequently. Like I said, all of those people were married, and all of them referred to themselves as Christian. That leads me to believe that this is a somewhat big problem. Or is this one place where the church just really isn't caught up to the times and things need to change. Well, I really don't think so. And at the, end I, uh, at the end of the day, I believe, and I think science backs me up, or I know science backs me up because I look at this kind of stuff on a regular basis, the science behind what this does to us. Pornography actually affects our brains. Now, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8, I believe, says to focus our minds on that which is good, that which is honorable, that which is beautiful. And we do that because when we focus our minds on what is good, it affects and it changes our minds. The connections in our minds become focused on those good things. Likewise, when we focus on things that are not good, it affects our brains. Now, interestingly enough, the science behind this has said that you can see if we hook you up to an EEG or or some other kind of uh, device here that kind of uh, registers brain patterns, we can actually see the imprint of pornography on the human brain. In fact, it's so strong that if you viewed pornography at least once in your life, science can tell that it's happened. So it does make some kind of lasting imprint. What makes matters worse and why, why I think this is such a big issue not just for married couples, but because of the overabundance of pornography on the internet and the ease of access to it, we are being exposed to it younger and younger and younger. 
if you have children who are, let's say, I don't know, eight or older, and you've not talked to them about it, you may need to do that tonight. Because no doubt they are experiencing this at home, at their friends, even at school. Apparently at the library, it's become a big problem as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think this is the way with many of our addictions. So in the end, I hope you ask yourself this, or if you're asking yourself this even right now, is pornography really that bad? Ask yourself these questions. Does my spouse know that I view it? Do my children know that I view it? Would I be open about it with people in church? Can I pray and watch it at the same time? Here's a little trick about addiction. If you're ashamed or hiding it, maybe it's not beneficial. Maybe it's something that can be stayed away from. Now, the number one threat to marriage is, of course, adultery. Adultery is the leading cause of divorce in the United States and over 150 other countries that record such things. Now, what's the problem when it comes to adultery? Is it being attracted to someone else? Well, we're made biologically kind of with our radars up all the time. We are always looking for potential mates even if we are already connected to someone. And so it can't just be being attracted to someone to some degree. It has to go something beyond that. Now, there are generally two types of behavior that lead to infidelity. The first occurs when a partner travels a lot or drinks a lot, as we've talked previously, and makes bad decisions. And that kind of ends up as the one-night stand uh, infidelity. Now, the second problem is more common and much more prevalent in uh, the world. And this occurs when an emotional bond is created between two people. This traditionally happened at the workplace. You would go to work, you would see your colleague, they would be very well-groomed and put together, and they would have an interest in what you were doing. They would do some of the same things. They perhaps you know, had similar interests because you were working in a similar field. Then you went home and your spouse was tired and maybe not well put, up, put together and had been working all day as well, really didn't care anything about spreadsheets. And you started to fantasize about this other person and how life would be better with them. These days, the most frequent place this happens is where? Anybody know? In particular, online, where? Facebook, yes. Facebook is the leading cause of infidelity in our nation. Hooray for Facebook. Something they can add to their list of achievements. But it is. You connect with an old friend, an old fling. One thing leads to another. You have a cup of coffee. You go on a date. You chat. Now James says in his epistle, we are tempted by our own desire. Desire gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. So how can we combat this and every stumbling block in our marriage? Well, the first thing we can do is worship together. Again, I talked about how, how beneficial that was last week. And again, this is beneficial in this way. This core study found that couples that worship together tended to avoid these habits that hurt. Likewise, the University of Chicago did a study a while back 
on fidelity, and they found a similar trend. Of those participants in the University of Chicago study who never attended worship together, adultery occurred almost one quarter of the time. That dropped to 20% for those who attended less than monthly, 17% for those then more than once a month, and 12% for those who attended worship together weekly. Something about coming together, praising God together, breaking bread together, being reminded of the Word together, impacts and enforces our relationship and reminds us what we need to do. Now still, there were 12% of those who worshipped together weekly that had infidelity in their marriage. So there are still some other things we can do. The second thing we need to do is have boundaries. We all need to have boundaries. Do not keep things from your spouse. If you're keeping things from your spouse, there's a problem. Be open and honest. Don't keep things hidden like money, email accounts, text messages, etc. Just like you would expect your kids to be open with technology, be open with your spouse about technology. If you are, or and if uh, someone does, let me say, make that first move in your life, a coworker, someone on Facebook, a friend comes to you and expresses their interest, make sure you tell your spouse. Again, don't hide it. Cut these things off before they get worse. Someone comes to you and says, you know, hey, I'm kind of interested in you. First of all, say I'm married. Second of all, go to your spouse and say this happened. Let them know that you are committed to your spouse and committed to your relationship. Also, just be careful. Preacher, evangelist Billy Graham, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Billy Graham, wonderful individual, he had this rule that seems a little crazy, but he never, ever was alone with a woman beyond his wife, besides his wife. He made that a rule in his life, in his ministry. He would never be alone with a woman who was not his wife. Hillary Clinton invited him to a, a private uh, talk. He said, you know, not unless there was other people present. In, in fact, it's gone on record as saying Billy Graham was so intense about this that if he went to an elevator, the elevator opened and there was just one woman in the elevator, he would wait for the next elevator. He did not put himself in situations where he could be tempted. may sound a little bit silly, but there is something to say about not putting yourself in the face of temptation. Thirdly, you need to think through the consequences of your actions. So many times sin is just doing things without considering the influence and the impact it will have on other people. So before you act, think about how it will reflect on your spouse, on your children, on your family, on your friends, on the things that you do. If they will lead to hurt and they will lead to pain, try not to do them. As Christians, we are charged to think of others before we act. Now finally, I want to share with you uh, from, from the book the five R's to resisting temptation. All the things we've talked about tonight, abuse, addiction, adultery, are kind of symptoms of temptation. And there, these are some ways we can help ourselves, not just in these temptations, but all temptations, resist them and work past them. The first is to remember you are, who you are. You are a child of God, heir to the kingdom of heaven. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a father, you're a mother, you're a friend, you're a brother and sister in Christ. 
Are you living into those roles with your actions? Do my actions say I am a child of God? Do my actions say I am a husband? Do my actions say I am a good father? Second, recognize the consequences. We already talked about this. What will happen if your actions become public knowledge? Third, rededicate yourself to God. Every day, pray for God's strength and guidance. When you face temptations, stop and pray. Fourthly, reveal your struggles to a trusted friend. This is why we've encouraged people to start uh, groups of two or three formation groups that meet on a regular basis. Ask how it is with your soul. Because we do sometimes need to share our temptations with others so they can hold us accountable. You know, I continue to be tempted by this or that. Or I continue to be tempted by my alcohol addiction. That's why AA is such a, a, a strong uh, sense of sponsorship and mentorship and accountability. Likewise, we need to be accountable in all of those things that tempt us. Finally, remove yourself from temptation. Sometimes we just have to get off the elevator. Now, none of us is perfect, and we will all make mistakes. Like we, like, likely, in any marriage or relationship, we will cause our partner hurt on a regular basis. I hope we can avoid at least these three things as they seem to end relationship quicker than anything else. But no matter what the sin is and no matter what the deed, there's always room for healing. There's always room for forgiveness. So no matter what we do, we need to ask God and our spouse for forgiveness. Next week, we're going to continue looking at grace, looking at forgiveness, and looking how to get by with each other even though we may irritate each other from time to time. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the uh, diagnostic type addiction, Todd. So uh, we're, we're just talking semantics. I understand we can, be, um, we can do things over and over again which are good and that reinforce us, and that's okay. That's positive. But when we talk about addiction from the uh, medical and clinical aspect, we're talking about something that's destructive, Okay. So anything that's destructive, anything that gets in the way of our lives, our family, our work, that's what we consider addiction clinically. Now, now we can say, just like we talk, oh, well, I'm OCD, I'm obsessive compulsive. First of all, never ever say that. Siri, as someone with a background in psychology, never say you're OCD, because believe me, if you ever knew someone with OCD, it's an awful disease. But we can be compulsive. We can do things over and over again, just that are kind of uh, you know, uh, aspects and quirks of our life. But, but when we talk about clinical problems, and addiction is a clinical disease that, that is diagnosed, is medicated often, um, that, that's destructive. So, so I'm not arguing with you, Todd. I'm just saying that uh, tonight I was talking about clinical addiction. I'm not talking about doing something over and over again that's positive or, or reinforced. Thank <laughs> you.
Right. Well, it it's, tends to be a negative word. But yes, we could continue to do things over and over again that, that are positive. Yes. We would call those just doing good habits generally or, or creating good habits in our lives. But uh, Well, let's have a word of prayer as we now transition to the third part of our worship experience. Um, anybody else? We have to uh, have some time to talk about the DSM-4. Uh, I'd be happy to um, talk about that with you after worship because um, I do in- enjoy talking about that kind of stuff. But let's have a word of prayer and uh, kind of prepare ourselves for worship as we continue. Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather together. We ask, first of all, that as we come to you and praise anyone here tonight who has suffered at the hands of abuse or addiction or infidelity, that they may come to you free of that, that they may come to you and offer it up, that they may come asking for healing and that you will give them your grace. Help us love one another and support one another as we sin and as we are the victims of sin. Help us lift each other up and not tear each other down. Lord, we ask that you be with all of those who cannot be here tonight. And we ask that you be with all of those across our world who are in prison sentences in their lives marriage, in their relationship. Be with all of those who are slaves to addiction, slaves to their vice. Be with all of those who cannot see the good in their spouse, but see potential in everyone else. We ask that you allow healing to come and allow your church to offer light and hope joy in the midst of the hurt and the suffering in our lives. We pray this in your holy name.